Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. Unfortunately, there has been anti-Semitism throughout man's history. And we see that anti-Semitism has also plagued Christianity for, for many, many centuries. And we see that there is a resurgence of anti-Semitism within Christianity today. And what's so alarming is that it's not just simply in the mainline denominations, but also moving, growing within the evangelical world. And there's a reason for this. And that is when we move away from scriptural truth, we're going to find that Satan is there to fill our thoughts, our minds with his lies, his deceit, his falsehoods. And this is what's happening. What I want to do in this study is begin a three-part series on Isaiah chapter 44. Obviously, we are going through the book of Isaiah chapter by chapter, but this 44th chapter, it is foundational. It gives us a great understanding of God, Israel, and what God is going to do with the Jewish people in the last days in order that the promises that God made to Abraham will be realized. And these promises are for Jew and Gentile. It is so, so sad when people want to point fingers and put down one ethnic group, one nation, one people. This is not the spirit that comes from Messiah himself. This is not based upon the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me share with you something that I received this week. One friend sent me a, a sermon that was, was typed out by the organization, and it was called the New Passover. Now, I'm going to set aside the distortions, the untruths concerning the teacher's understanding of Passover, and understanding the events that surrounded the Lord's Passover, and I'm speaking of Messiah's Passover, nearly 2,000 years ago when he was crucified on Passover. But I want to just read a few sentences to show you what I'm referring to. Now, we read here in this passage of Scripture, it says, and I quote, Apostate Israel, at this time, has been cut off from blessing. We are the Gentiles who have been grafted in. Now, is it right to call Israel apostate, uniquely from some other nation, some other ethnic group, some other people? Is Israel 
really the apostate people and the Gentiles as this individual. And by the way, the person who wrote this sermon was delivered publicly. You can watch it on, on YouTube. The person who said these things, he has a very public, a very large platform. He's been on the radio for, for nearly 40 years. And in addition to this, he's on approximately a thousand radio stations across America. He is exceedingly well known. But when you listen to him, even the way that he pronounces the Jews and how he says it, it comes with a, a tone of contempt. And his writings, his speaking, manifest this over and over. So why does he single out Israel, the apostate Israel, and then says, we the Gentiles are grafted in. We are the ones who are going to have the blessings of God. This is not theologically sound. There are many Jewish believers. It is wrong to say to any one people group, ethnic group, they are the apostate. That is simply not correct. And it's rooted in, in my opinion, an anti-Semitism. Why put Jew and Gentile at odds with one another? All humanity was created by God. The gospel is for all humanity. The Jewish people were preached the gospel first, and many, many received it. Does not scripture say how many millions there are? Those are ten thousands upon ten thousands of Jewish people. He says this in the book of Acts, who have believed the gospel and who are zealous for the word of God. That's what the scripture says. Now, yes, the majority have not, but Look at any ethnic group, any racial group. The majority of the world people groups have rejected the gospel. What does Messiah say? He says the way that leads to life, life eternal, is narrow and difficult and few find it. So you have to ask yourself, why would someone single out Israel as the apostate nation and then link the gentiles gentiles if you look at the vast majority throughout the world they're not believers they are pagans and furthermore what we see is that the growing number of percentages of of humanity rejects for example look where this pastor's from united states the percent of believers are decreasing rapidly in the United States. So you could say the United States, with every other nation, is an apostate nation. Why single out Israel? Why, why specify the Jewish people are cut off from the blessings of God? All non-believers. But again, I live in Israel, and I can assure you, testify before the Lord. There is a growing, a largely, quickly, fastly growing number of Israelis and Jewish people throughout the world who are coming to faith. It is heretical.
to single out Israel as the apostate people. And why would one do that? Well, as I said, a wrong spirit within him. Secondly, we find something else, and that is a hesitancy to teach and preach prophecy. Very seldom does this one really deal with prophecy in its, in its context. Going through a book of prophecy and doing so in a way that's true to the text. Well, that's what we want to do as we begin our study. So take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Isaiah and chapter 44. Now, a very important chapter, we're going to take it slowly and carefully because we want to see God's revelation and not twist it, not, not manipulate the texts, not try to get people through persuasion to believe what, what I do, but rather shine the light of illumination on the biblical texts and trust the Holy Spirit to speak to individuals. He's the one that is the teacher. So we read here Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 1 where it says, and now, the Hebrew word atah. Atah speaks of now at this time, but it always comes within a context of urgency and significance. It is urgent that we understand this. And what we're understanding has significant implications. So, and now, here, and this is a command. And this word for here implies the necessity to respond. Not just to hear it and understand it, but in doing so, respond to this revelation. That's the problem. Many people hear the word of God, but they don't respond to it. So here we see in the text, there's an urgency, there is significance. We're supposed to comprehend and respond what he's saying. He writes, hear, O Jacob, my servant. Now, there's two ways that we can understand this. One is that he's proclaiming that it's Jacob. And here, Jacob, this is Hebrew poetry. Yes, it's prophecy, but so frequently, biblical prophecy comes to us in a poetic form. And what's the most important aspect of Hebrew poetry? Parallelism. What's parallel to Jacob? Israel. So we're speaking about the descendants of Jacob, the Jewish people. And therefore we read, Hear, O Jacob, my servant. So he's revealing, this is the first thing. He's revealing that Jacob, the Jewish people, are indeed his servant. Secondly, he says, And Israel, once more, parallel Jacob and Israel, he says, and I'm quoting literally, Baharti vo, I have chosen him. It's a proclamation. We need to hear this, that God has chosen Israel. And the Bible says the calling and the gifts of God are irrevocable, meaning that God is not going to cast off his people. They might fall into disobedience, into rebelliousness. They might be thrown out of the land into exile, but be assured God is going to bring back a remnant. And God's going to use Israel, especially in the last days. And that God is in the last days, at the end, going to be pleased with Israel. 
and he is going to demonstrate his faithfulness to Israel, his covenantal obligations. And we see that Ezekiel tells us in Ezekiel 37 that when the nations see, and I'm speaking about the Gentile nations, when they see God's fidelity to the Jewish people, they're going to be moved by that. They're going to come to a greater understanding and appreciation for the one true God, the God of Israel. So it says, and Israel, I have chosen him. He wants us to hear this, that, that Jacob is his servant and that he has chosen Israel. This is the proclamation that comes with, with significance and urgency. Verse 2, thus said, now here again, if your Bible says, thus says, it's wrong. It doesn't say that. What we find here is that God is speaking presently within this passage about what he has promised to do. And it's in the past tense to show, to confirm, it's going to happen. So thus said the Lord. And again, he's addressing Israel, the Jewish people, and he says, your maker and and the implication is to translate it smoothly into english your your maker and the one who formed you and it's simply the same term your maker and and your former the one who formed you so two different words la sot and then this word here yotzer for forming fashioning something and he says concerning this that he's done that from the betan that is the word for stomach but here it's it's referring to the womb what it's saying is this that god was in the very beginning part of israel's existence in a unique way that's so vital so significant god from the very beginning from the womb so to speak he was the one who was making and forming Israel. And that call upon them from him is still relevant. It is not rendered void. God is going to show that before he establishes his kingdom. And then it says, he will help you. Help who? Jacob and Israel. He says, do not fear my servant Jacob. And then he uses a third term. We'll read it carefully. It's the word Yeshurun. Yeshurun has to do with another name for the Jewish people. And what I would say to, to my, my fellow Bible teacher that I, I, I am struggling with his perspective, how can such a person, and I don't doubt that he's a believer, but I doubt the influence of the Holy Spirit in his life. Now I realize every believer has the Holy Spirit. Does this one have the Holy Spirit within him? Yes, he does. But he is being influenced by a different spirit. He is not walking in the truth, not teaching the revelation of God. I wonder if he knows that the term that God uses here for Israel, Yeshurun, if he knows that this means upright or straight. God sees the future. And God sees the time when Israel is going to be a straight, an upright people. God is calling them by that name, even though we're going to see that they're in sin. He doesn't call them his apostate people. God 
proclaims that they will be his upright, his straight people that he's going to use. Why? Notice he says for the second time, Baharti vo, I have chosen him. Be very cautious to insult the one that God has chosen, the one that God has selected for a purpose. And we see that this is all tied to the Abrahamic covenant. God says that he is going to make a people a source of blessing. One fulfillment of that is that Messiah came from the house of, of Judah, from the Jewish people. But that's not the summation of what God's going to do with Israel. He is going to use them to be instruments of blessing. So this idea that Israel is apostate and cut off from the blessings of God, not eternally and not uniquely different than, than any other people who are in disbelief. But realize there are still many, many Jewish people who are believers. Verse 3, after saying, do not fear, he writes in verse 3, for I will pour out water upon the thirsty now many of the scholars and i'm talking about christian scholars they they understand that there's going to be a famine of the word of god that the world is going to be parched thirsty for biblical revelation and what god says here in regard to israel he says i will pour out water upon the thirsty and nozlim, which is liquids, some Bibles do it poetically, floods, like floods of waters, upon the yabasha, on the dry land. Now, what he's speaking about is this is all foreshadowing a change that's coming, a change that is coming to the world. When we find that Israel is receiving the, the waters of life through scriptural revelation, it's going to bring about a change in the world. In fact, God says he is going to show a foretaste of that, letting us know the time for Israel's restoration is at hand. Now, I say Israel's restoration, but realize when we look at the early church in the first century, initially all the congregation of the redeemed were Jewish. They had to have a special meeting to agree that the gospel was also for, for Gentiles. So Israel was used in the past for the purpose of the gospel. All the apostles were Jewish, and God used them to be tools of manifestation, releasing of the Holy Spirit in this world. That's why Paul warns sternly, don't, don't be haughty and prideful, and he speaks to the Gentiles against the Jewish people. But you be humble because in the same way that, that Israel has failed, so has the church. I can speak very boldly and say, for the most part, the church, when you look at it in the broadest terms, we have an apostate church today. Does that mean all believers? No, there are numerous faithful, strong, godly individuals who are part of the body of believers. Praise God for that. But we're seeing corruption, spiritual corruption, 
plaguing the church today. And we shouldn't point fingers. What God says is, you be aware of that. That's going to cause you to have greater compassion and mercy for, for Israel. And we Jewish believers, we need to know that so that we can have greater compassion for the church because we all have failed God. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all have demonstrated faithlessness. But praise God, there's going to be a dramatic change in the last days for Israel and for the body of believers. And it's going to come about because God's going to help. God's going to move. He's going to pour out waters upon the thirsty and floods of water, streams of water upon the dry land. He says, and this is going to foreshadow what Isaiah says in other locations. For example, in Isaiah 35, he is going to bring a change to the land of Israel as a foretaste of the spiritual change that he's going to bring to the people. Messiah taught us that when he says, watch the fig tree. And when its, its leaves are, are moist and green, you know that fruit's going to come. And this is what he's saying here. Look on in the second part of verse, verse 3. He says, I'm going to change the land. I'm going to pour water upon the dry land. Also, he says, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon your seed. Whose seed? The seed of Jacob, the seed of, of Israel. They are going to have a spiritual experience. And that spiritual experience is going to, what does he say? And I will bless concerning your offspring, your heritage, those who come from you, meaning the, the next generations. God is not finished with Israel. God does not see them as an apostate nation any different than other nations who are struggling with faith and obedience to the revelation of God. But God's going to work a change. He's going to bring about a glorious change, and that change to the land of Israel, the people of Israel, their spiritual condition is going to be a requirement for the kingdom of God to be established. Look at verse 4. And they will sprout among the grass as willows along streams of water. So God is foreshadowing. He's given us symbolic language. He says, be assured. There is coming a time when they, referring to Israel, Jacob, Yeshurun, they are going to sprout. And they are going to do so like willows who are planted by streams of water. This is good news. Verse 5, there will be one who will say, I am to the Lord, meaning I belong to the Lord. And there's going to be another one who will call in the name of Jacob, meaning for that purpose. They are going to submit, they're going to agree with God's plan. And furthermore, it says this one, another one, is going to use his hand to write unto the Lord, and in the name of Israel, he will be called. Now, all of this is God saying, be assured, I'm not finished with Israel. And that's why those who are of a replacement theology, those who primarily come from a reformed theology, that's Calvinism, 
any organization that is Calvinistic is usually confused about prophecy and God's role with Israel. In fact, there is a, a ministry based in the United States, I believe in the Orlando area, and, and it has a horrible view for Israel. Totally says God's finished with Israel. There's not going to be any more significance to land, and these promises are not rendered null and void. No, they're not. And we need to understand this is not some scripture that, that only has relevance in the past. Quite the contrary. This has relevance, as we'll see before we conclude our third part in this series of Isaiah 44. It has an end times significant. So he's going to call these people by the term Israel. He's not finished. Look now at verse 6. We're going to see that there's going to be a focus upon the king of Israel. What does that mean? Messiah. We read in verse 6. Thus said the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer. This is Messianic. The Lord of hosts. Now, this scripture does something. And there's many Trinitarians, and I put myself in that category. Many will use this to, to, proof that, to prove that the Redeemer of Israel is indeed the Lord of hosts. It speaks of the divinity of Messiah. Read carefully what it says. Thus said the Lord, the King of Israel. People say, that's God the Father. Wonderful. And his Redeemer. Who's the Redeemer? The Lord of hosts. Who's this Redeemer? It's Messiah. It speaks about the unity between God the Father and God the Son. And here, when we look at this, we see that this scripture is placed, for example, in the book of Revelation in regard to Messiah, not God the Father, but Messiah, where he says, I am the first and the last, and except for me, there is no God. I'm the only God. And this speaks loudly to the divinity of Messiah. When he says, I'm the first and the last, that statement in the book of Revelation screams out the divinity of Messiah. That's why this passage is so important. He also says, look at verse 7, and who is like me? Now, one of the things that's unique about God, God speaks and it is. He says, Vayhi or, let there be light. Vayhi or, and there was light. So he says, who is like me? The one who proclaims and declares it and arranges it unto me. He's saying, God is unique. God is speak. Where's the one who can proclaim, declare it, and arrange it? For me, meaning only God can do this. He says, where's the one who can speak like I speak? Bring it about and arrange it. I want to see him do it before me. There is no one that can do that. And then notice what he's speaking about. When he says, arrange it for me, he speaks about that he has placed. He says, I have placed Am Olam. And eternal people, the reason why it's called eternal people, it's a reference for the word olam, which is an adjective that describes a kingdom, a kingdom people. Am olam, a kingdom people. 
What he's saying here boldly, who's the one that's going to agree with me? I'm God, there's no other. But but who's like me that is able to proclaim and it's going to be? And what God has proclaimed, what he's emphasizing uniquely here is that he has set its word for placing, putting, bringing into existence, that God has brought into existence a kingdom people, a people of eternity. And who do you think he's speaking to here? The Jewish people. Every Jewish people? No, a remnant. But let me ask you, is there something different concerning a remnant of Israel and a remnant of this nation and that nation, this ethnic group and that ethnic group? There is no ethnic group, no people group, that all of them are going to be saved. It's always, always, always a remnant. Do not select words to single out in a pejorative, in a negative way, the Jewish people. God is not pleased with that. God it does not agree with the words of God throughout Scripture, but especially here. He goes on to speak about this kingdom people. He says, Otiyot, what's that? It's talking about coming things. God has coming things that are going to bring about massive change. And he says, coming things, he says, which are coming. And, and they will be declared to them. God is going to remember the context. God says, I'm unique. I speak and it is. And I'm telling you that there are future things, things that are coming. And they are future things, they're coming and what does he say here? At the end of the text, he simply says, they are going to declare and they are going to be the reality to them. That's what God is speaking. Now, this, most of the commentators point out, this does exactly what I gave the example of. Going back to Genesis, God said, let there be, and there was. God says there's coming things, they are going to be proclaimed, and they are going to be. What God has said and prophesied is going to become a reality. So let, they be, let them be declared to them. Verse 8. Now, in regard to this, he says, do not fear and do not be afraid. Surely, and then he says, since, meaning from the past times, I have caused this to be heard. Meaning this, this is not new revelation. The, the promises that God made to Israel just don't originate in Isaiah's day. They go all the way back to Abraham in the Torah, in the days of Moses, in the days of the judges and such. All throughout Jewish history, God proclaims these things. So he says, me'az, meaning since, since these former times, I have made you to hear this. I have declared it. And what does he declare? Well, instead of saying Israel, an apostate people, what does God say? Isn't it good to agree with God? This is what God's prophesying. He says this, you know, I proclaimed in the past what I proclaim will be. And this is what he says. And you are my witnesses. God is going to use Israel to be his witnesses. And today there are Jewish witnesses and there are, and praise God for this, Gentiles, as the writer says, been grafted into that same call to be proclaimers 
of the truth of the revelation of God. Praise God for that. But the context here is that God is saying to the Jewish people, and you are my witnesses. And why is that the case? How is this going to really be carried out? Well, notice what he says. Hayesh Eloha Biladai, which means, is there a God except for me? The point is this. God is uniting. And don't, don't miss the simple teaching here. God is uniting his uniqueness, that he's the only God. He's uniting that with the fact that God has a unique call upon Israel. And, and who God is, is being emphasized in light of his call upon the Jewish people. If you set that call um, on the Jewish people aside, say it's rendered null and void, it's done, they are an apostate people. If you have that view, what you're doing is attacking the, the identity, the attributes, the reality of God. This is what the scripture is saying. And he says, there is no rock except, except one that I have known. And what it's speaking here is this. In the same way, in the rock, most scholars see this, both Christian and from Judaism, this rock that he's speaking about is Messiah, the rock of Israel, the rock that Paul says followed them in the desert those 40 years that they drank water from. That rock, Paul says, is Messiah. So he says, there is no rock except, and the implication is the one that I have known, meaning the one that I have, have, have offered up, meaning Messiah. This passage speaks of God's faithfulness in regard to not just the existence, the eternality of Messiah, but also the, the purpose of Messiah, the role of Messiah. And by the way, yes, there's a blessed hope, the rapture, which is for the congregation of redeemed, which is Jew and Gentile. But there's also the second coming, a different event. And when Messiah comes, the final time, the second coming at the end of Daniel's 70th week, we know something, that true believers, the real church, is coming with him. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 13. The body of believers are coming with him. What's so significant about that? It shows a unity of purpose. That there's going to be an agreement between the body of believers and Messiah. That we have the same purpose. And Messiah is returning the second time at the end of Daniel's 70th week to destroy the enemies of Israel. And to redeem that remnant, that one-third, of the Jewish people who will be alive at that time. They will look upon the one who has been pierced and they will receive him, receive the gospel. And they are going to be a kingdom people. And there's going to be unity between Jewish believers and Gentile believers. Not this attitude of apostate Israel, that you're cut off from the blessings of God. Notice Messiah was asked a question about, when is the time that you are going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That is prophetic. That is true. Well, I'm going to conclude this first session. We'll look next week at the second part of chapter 44, and then the following week, in two weeks, 
we'll conclude this chapter with a very encouraging conclusion, focusing on the Redeemer when we do the third part of this study within Isaiah chapter 44. I would encourage you to read ahead and study ahead chapter 44, a chapter of most significant revelation that has an urgency from the heart of God to his people, his, his new covenant people and also his old covenant people that God is going to make one day into one new person. Until then, shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Thank <laughs> you.